Hello and welcome to Wesley Union, a bi-weekly podcast from Studio Wesley that highlights the voices of different campus ministers and leaders in the United Methodist Church. Today we'll be hearing from Reverend Haley Eccles, the Associate Director for Campus to City Wesley Foundation in Jacksonville, Florida. Good morning. Grace and peace to you all on this wonderful Sunday morning. Um, as Steve said, my name is Haley Eccles, and it is my um, privilege to be able to serve as the Associate Director at Campus to City Wesley Foundation. I'm so uh, humbled to be invited to be among you this morning, especially want to just say how much I appreciate your pastor, Steve, um, as someone who I've gotten to serve alongside in some groups. Um, He's just an awesome guy and also a wonderful supporter of CCW. So I'm sure y'all already know that, but thank you so much for having me this morning. Uh, While our monologue did a good job of capturing that emotion from the story, I'm gonna take us back to the text. And so I'm gonna read the Matthew account of the Canaanite woman's story. It's in Matthew 15, and it starts in verse 21. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if I'm the only one, but there are a lot of things Jesus says that are really hard for me to hear. Just me? Probably not. You probably have this running list. I like to call it the when I get to heaven list. This is the list of things that I just cannot wait until I get an audience with Jesus or maybe some of those other characters in the Bible and ask them a few things about what really happened. So uh, some of the hard things that Jesus says, like, I don't know, things like gouge out your own eye if you're gonna sin because of it, you know? Or maybe it's that thing where like, yeah, yeah, murder is bad, but like, so is hate inside your heart. Or like the suggestion that maybe I need to sell everything I own because the comfort, because the money, because the uh, status that it gives me is just putting too much of a barrier between me and serving God. I'm not quite sure what's on your list, but, but all of those things are things that are hard to hear because they are tough teachings of Jesus. They remind us that Jesus asks a lot of us. 
This story, however, is a hard thing to hear Jesus say, not because it's a tough teaching, but because it just doesn't sound right. In this story, a desperate woman kneeling before Jesus, asking for healing for her daughter, hears from the word, from the mouth of God incarnate, it is not good to give the bread that belongs to the children to the dogs. You, woman, are like a dog. Like a little dog, like a puppy is what this word means, kynarion. And if you hoped that in the Greek, this word softens a little bit, that maybe the English is like a really harsh translation, uh, it actually makes it a little bit worse. This word that Jesus uses, it's, it's a slur. It is not something that this woman should be called. It reminds me that language is a powerful tool. Words are a powerful thing. And what we say matters. So we're in this time, we consider very carefully what we say. And it can be overwhelming because sometimes it can just feel like we never say the right thing. And I know, I know that the people who are watching, I know the people that are here, like none of us are intending harm by the words we say. We come to this place, we come to be followers of Jesus because we have learned we are inspired by that love and we hope that all of those around us have that same charitable ear for what we say. And yet, we have been baptized into a language, into customs, into symbols that are wrapped up in systems of oppression and injustice. And so this language we learn, this language that we've inherited, this tendency to say different things, colloquialisms, all of those things, well, they were born out of the water that we swim in, the water of things like racism and sexism and classism and anti-Semitism and homophobia and transphobia and ableism, all of these things which are just synonymous with being born into the waters of human brokenness. And so to hear that language on the lips of Jesus the person who has come to redeem all of this gross like brokenness that we are in, it just doesn't sit right. And so even if you're one of those people who kind of sits around and you think like, can I just not say anything right? To come to this passage for me to wonder, okay, can Jesus not say anything right? It just feels a bit too far. Because at the core of our faith, the thing that I believe in, the thing that we all believe in, the thing that inspires and motivates us is that Jesus is God. That Jesus is holy, that Jesus is sinless. And we hear in 1 Corinthians 5.21 that for our sake, he, that he is God, made him, that him is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So if this slur, if these words, if this exchange with Jesus, if this isn't sin, then what is it? What is it that Jesus is trying to say? And so then I came up to my limits where I realized, well, we really don't ask the right questions, do we? Sometimes our focus is in the wrong place. And so in my rush to defend Jesus, to explain, to rationalize, to minimize, just to wonder about what these words mean, I heard Jesus speaking to me, reminding me that he doesn't need me to save him. That's not my job here. He needs me to have the same focus that he has. And so that brings us to the Canaanite woman and her story. This woman is pretty amazing. I, she's one of my favorites in the Bible. She is gutsy. Um, she is like the Lizzo of her day. It might not be a reference that hits everybody, but it, you will get it, I promise. Uh, we don't know much about her. We know that she is an outsider and that she's not only heard of Jesus, but she's heard enough of the stories of Israel and who Jesus is to understand the significance he plays in this story. And she is able to use what she knows to get in this place where Jesus can see her, acknowledge her, and heal her daughter. This is her goal. So let's hear the way that she does this. The first thing she does, she calls out to him, Lord, son of David. He's the one who can help her and she's able to label him as such with this language. And this is something that women experience and know very well. That sometimes in just trying to navigate our jobs and the roles we play in order to get the things we want, we're able to use our language to kind of massage the egos of those around us to give them the words they need to hear so that they can be able to listen and be receptive to the request that they should answer anyways. You know what I'm talking about? It's being able to go up to your boss and say, I came to you first because I know that you're the guy who's going to be able to help me and this is what I need. Instead of just going in and knowing like, gosh darn it, I know that this is what I need and and this is what I should get, but you know, Lord, son of David, this is what I need. And not only, not only is she able to use this language, is she able to to use this address towards Jesus to, to achieve her goal, but she's able to um, connect it to her place in the story. Studio Wesley is sponsored by Campus of City Wesley a ministry of the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. This summer, the Florida Conference launched Build a Table, a statewide network of churches and organizations dedicated to fighting food insecurity in Florida. Build a Table's first objective is to feed 3 million Floridians by September 2021. To find out how you can help, visit fillthetableflorida.org today. This woman knows that she's at the bottom of society's ladder and she is determined that her subjugation does not include hope. And so she becomes the master of hope by taking this label, son of David, and showing that she belongs in this place. 
She claims Jesus' lineage. Now, we're reading this account from Matthew. So Matthew starts, Matthew 1, 1, starts by giving us the lineage of Jesus. How he got here, who begat, who begat, who. And if you get lost in who all of those people are when you're reading through that story in Matthew 1, I'll just let you know, there are five women mentioned. There are four women who are named, and three of them are foreign women outside of the fold, outside of the sheep of Israel, who have been included into the story. Listening to a a biblical scholar who kind of placed this story in context, he was talking about how during this time of Roman occupation, during this time when Jews were worshiping in a place that was not their own, They would be in the synagogue. They would be telling these stories of their faith. And people who were outsiders, people who were Romans or people who were pagans or people who were Canaanites were coming into the synagogue to hear the stories because it was just something to do. It was just good entertainment. They were entertained by these stories. They wanted to know what happened. They wanted to know um, what comes next. They might have even thought, like, can you even believe that these people believe these stories? But that's beside the point. This woman was likely one among the crowd at some point. Perhaps it was before her daughter became sick or maybe even before she became a mother. And she's in the synagogue and she's hearing these women's stories, Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and start seeing herself in these women, these outsiders. And maybe she starts wondering, aren't I just like these women? Or in the words of Sojourner Truth, ain't I a woman? Do you remember that famous speech from Sojourner Truth? I'm gonna read a portion of it. Sojourner Truth says, well children, Where there is so much racket, there must be something off kilter. I think that between the Negroes of the South and the women of the North all talking about rights, the white men will be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and to have the best places everywhere. Nobody helps me into carriages or over mud puddles or gives me any place, but ain't I a woman? And look at me, look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could uh, heed me. And ain't I a woman? And I could work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I've borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? And then that little man in black over there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did Christ come from? Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. This is the speech that Sojourner Truth uh, gives and this is the kind of claim that the Canaanite woman is making and saying, son of David, she says, I belong here too that God includes me too. 
And when that experience goes unheeded, she makes herself a small space in front of Jesus where he can't ignore her anymore. It's another thing women understand, making themselves smaller, making themselves easier to see, making themselves smile or be more dainty so that they can be in the presence and places where people need them. But what this Canaanite woman knows is she doesn't need a lot of space. What she needs is location, location, location. She needs just a small space in front of the king of kings. She needs the small space that she occupies to be in front of God incarnate, in front of the person who has created her in his very image. And she claims this space, she claims this kinship with Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth, and yet these two things still only cause her to hear words that she's heard before, calling her a dog, casting her aside, so that the mission of Jesus can continue to the people that Jesus knows, the people that are Jesus' own family and and church family and blood, that, that group. And in this place, the woman is able to make a third move She says, call me a dog if you want to, as if women today don't know what it's like to be compared to dogs. She's going to use that label and reclaim it, to use it as the central point of her argument that God has enough power, that God has enough grace, that God has enough love even for her too. Sure, the children can have the bread, but even the dogs can lap up the crumbs at the bottom of the master's table. And Jesus, by recognizing her faith, by healing her daughter, sanctifies and endorses her words so that we can claim them as well, that we can claim that God has enough power, that God has enough grace, that God has enough love for me too, that God has enough Power, that God has enough grace, that God has enough love even for you too. That this is the place of hope. That her words, that her presence, that her ability to come to this place and know that hope is for her, achieve restoration and wholeness and love that she needed. We've gotten to that place of hope. I'm glad we got to that place of hope. But we also have to acknowledge that getting to that place of hope in this woman's story has been a roller coaster. That this exchange with Jesus, it's still, it just, I wonder if there is something, if there is a point to that ride that Jesus has put us on because it is still hard to hear those words. It's still hard to hear that brunt from Jesus in his silence and then in his comparison. 
And I believe that there, there is something happening in this roller coaster for us. I think Jesus captures an experience that we are going to become acquainted with the more that we listen to the Spirit of God. Because the work of the Spirit is one that crosses boundaries. It binds us together with people that we never asked to be bound up to. It brings us together with people who are across racial boundaries and ethnic boundaries and gender boundaries and class boundaries, sexual orientation boundaries. It crosses everything to bring us into a space where we are all siblings together. We are all one body. We are all bound. And let's be honest, when this happens, when we get bound to people that we are not accustomed to being bound to, we're gonna make some mistakes. We're gonna say the wrong thing sometimes. The work of, of being an ally, the work of being with people that are different from us means that we have to do the painful work of unlearning all of those things that we have learned to say and do that have caused harm, that are unhelpful. And that journey can be awkward. It can be embarrassing. It can be hard. We're trying to do a little bit of work to normalize that journey uh, in CCW as we build this group that we're calling How to Ally. We're talking right now specifically about racial justice, but all of those experiences where we are at the center and we find ourselves working with people on the margins and we are just not adept at doing it the right way. It takes a lot of unlearning. It takes a lot of stamina. It takes a lot of holy work and humility for us to be able to come to this place where we can do that work of working with others. I almost wondered, and I, I didn't say this in, in the last service that I preached, but I almost wonder if what we learn from what Jesus says is that it's not a sin to be wrong. It might be a sin to double down, but it's not a sin to be wrong. That we have to learn and grow, that we have to listen, that we have to allow love and the spirit to guide us so that we can come deeper into relationship with people who God has enough power, who God has enough grace, and who God has enough love for. And so this is the space we sit, allowing this woman to guide us into this space in which we claim that God has love and grace and hope and power for us all. In the name of Jesus Christ, we say amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wesley Union. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to extend a special thanks to today's speaker, as well as our production team, Troy Argon Buchanan, Sarah Taylor, and Derek Scott III. My name is Allison Corwin, and thank you for listening to Wesley Union, a Studio Wesley offering powered by Campus to City Wesley.